Welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I sat down with Andre Stringer, a person who truly does not need an introduction. But for those who do not know him, after this episode, you will want to know more. Stringer was a standout basketball player in Jackson, in the state of Mississippi, and in the world. A former Mr. Basketball of Mississippi, two-time Mississippi Gatorade Player of the Year, and LSU point guard, Stringer is a Jackson and Mississippi legend on the hardwood. But as he mentions in today's episode, basketball did not make him who he was. It is simply a part of his life and the man he has become. The 5-foot-10-inch point guard lost his father this year and now finds himself overseeing his father's lawn business, coaching, as well as preparing to own a trucking business. However, between basketball and the lessons it taught him, plus his relationship with his father, it continues to shape the man Stringer is becoming. Sit back and get ready to listen as he discusses how his father and brother gave him his passion for basketball, fun memories of being a high school star at Forest Hill, heated rivalries with his friends at other schools, the transition to LSU, playing against players like Lakers Anthony Davis and Wizards Bradley Beal in college, his respect for Monte Ellis, setbacks from injury, and more. This is Season 1, Episode 14 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast, Andre's Way, a decorated journey of basketball, family, and pain. Let's get it. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have Mr. Andre Stringer. And ladies and gentlemen, like, if you don't know who this guy is, like, you, you need to <laughs> research because, I mean, this is probably one of the most prolific basketball players who has ever come through the state of Mississippi, especially in my eyes. But, I mean, his his track record, his his regards of, of, of what he's done, um, it speaks for itself. So, Andre, it's good to have you on, man. Man, I appreciate it. I'm excited, man. Uh, you know, anytime uh, some local things come about, I'm always there for it. Absolutely. So, so Andre, you know, like I said, I know what you're doing um, now, but, you know, kind of tell people a little bit about what you're doing and where you're at now. Well, I'm doing a couple of things, man. Um, I, 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 um, I'm I helping out with a, a lawn service that's pretty uh, widespread over the um, state of Mississippi. Um, I'm doing a little bit of coaching. And I'm in the process of uh, trying to own my own trucking business. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit everywhere, to be honest with you. Um, but I still am very close-knit with the basketball world. And, you know, of, of course, that's first and foremost the thing that is most important to me uh, in, in the local community. And so you mentioned that, you know, you're in, in lawn service and also coaching. So how did you kind of get in? Well, yeah, how did you get in those two things? Well, lawn service started with my dad. Unfortunately, he passed the, you know, uh, in March, and uh, I kind of took it from him. Um, he was doing a couple of yards here and there and doing some bigger yards here and there, and I decided to take over the business for him. Uh, you know, it was kind of my way uh, to deal with the tragedy uh, of losing him. Right. Um, that's kind of how it started, and, and a couple of friends of mine uh, got involved, and we, we just made it bigger and bigger, and we're, we're still growing. Right, right, right. Right now, I'm, and I'm sorry to hear that about your dad. And I know that's something that we will uh, we will definitely kind of not dive too heavy in, but you know, definitely later on in the podcast, we'll I'll ask you some questions about him. Um, of course, you know, to to get into the you know the coaching and the basketball. So now that you're getting into coaching, let's kind of look into 
how you even got into basketball? Like, how did you even get connected or started with basketball? Well, it started with my uh, brother, honestly. Mm. My mom and my dad both played. Uh, but my brother was uh, a pretty good player in the state of Georgia. And um, I looked up to him from when I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 10 years older than me, and he, he, he was a great player as well. And I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps, and, and that's what led me to the love of the game. So when you were playing, well, when you were watching him, like what were some things that, you know, that you liked about his game that made you say like, okay, he did this. I want to be able to do this. Man, he was phenomenal, man. I, I mean, I tell people all the time. I mean, people think that I can play and that I'm good. But he's the real, he's, he's the real goat. He's the real goat for sure. Yeah. He had, he had, he had a lot, a lot of skill, man. He, um, he taught me a lot of things that I needed to know about the game and he went far. He, uh, he was, Top player in Georgia. He, mm-hmm. he was at all the top camps he played. Um, during that age of like Sean Livingston, a couple of mm-hmm. those guys, he's around that age group. But he was a phenomenal shooter. Um, and that's kind of what led to, to, to me um, taking the reins and, and, and keeping the legacy going. In terms of his of his legacy and, and, and just being a good player, is it anything that you took from his game that you that you brought into your game? Uh Definitely shooting. I mean, shooting has been one thing that uh, my my family has been thriving on for years. My dad could shoot, my mom could shoot, right. And so that's 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 probably the main thing that I took from his game. And he he perfected it as I got older. When he came from college, um, I was in I was at Sidewood Middle School playing for my uncle mm-hmm. um, Trent Stringer, and um, he came and uh, started training me and training me and working me and and doing things like that. And he, he told me I had to be special because I was so small. Right. So what he did was he, he developed this, uh, him and my dad and my uncle developed this uh, training regiment that I would do to help me with my shooting and athletic ability. And it, I mean, it, it worked out. <laughs> it worked Absolutely. out. I got, I got to say that I've been blessed, man. It worked out. I can remember being back in middle school at Sidewell, and, and this is the perfect segue for this, I remember being at Sidewell in the sixth grade and, you know, you were in the seventh grade, you and um, Dundrikis and, you know, Zachary Pendleton all on the team. And I'm thinking to myself, like, these dudes are like really good in middle school. In my opinion, I thought that. And it's just like, you know, to see you guys, you know, go from middle school and then playing in high school and like, you know, to see how how you guys transform to the next level. I mean, talk a little bit about that experience of, of kind of going from, I'm, I'm into basketball. I'm going through these different regiments. And then here it is. I'm in middle school and, and competing for championships, playing under your uncle. Oh, man, it, it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, of course, playing alongside Don Driggs Nelson, uh, Zachary Pimlin, two of my best friends that I grew up in, in subdivision number two. I mean, that in his own was, you know, a big step for me. And it was very exciting. Right. Um, watching Don Driggs really pushed me a lot. Uh, he was very, very gifted at a young age when we was when we was in uh, sixth grade, actually. Mm-hmm. But he he motivated me to want to get better, as along with chasing my brother as well. But Dundrigas, man, he was he was he was such a good talent that um I knew I had to step my game up once we was gonna you know leave each other. I didn't know if we was gonna go to the same school or not at the time, but I knew I wanted to compete at that level. So right. that, that's probably what the biggest uh, motivate most motivational thing that I took from 
from middle school. We're going to come back to that later on, but I got to ask this question. So, you know, as I mentioned before we started, so uh, friends with Brandon Anderson, Jim Hill. And, yeah. you know, he told me about a team called WLA that was started when you guys were kids. What, yeah. did, what did that team – he always talks about, like, the players on that team ended up going on to do big things across the state, whether you guys were Danny Dozens, whether you guys were Mr. Basketball of the state, uh, or just top-tier players in general. What did it mean to be on that team, and how did it help you guys grow as players? Man, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. We had a coach's dad, Mark Anderson, that pushed us to a level that I, I think that we we weren't really expected or expecting to be pushed to. Um, he always talked about the greatness and and the perfecting your craft and and just doing everything you can do on the court and being at your best at all times. I think that's the first thing that um, I took um, from from playing with uh, playing for his dad. I mean, he would um, he would challenge us all the time. Like in, in practice, you know, I played with guys like Trency. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a couple of guys that were really, really good. Marcellus Hansberry, Dundrickus will be around a little bit here and there. Alante Watson, I'm sure you know from Jim Hill. Right. I mean, we just had we just had a host of guys that you know were tough, tough guys, and he, he made us tougher players, and it was competitive each and every day. And it got us ready for middle school and uh, high school and so on, just the mindset of it. And I think, you know, Brandon was, he was younger than us, but he had to fire the same way we did. I mean, you got to think about a guy that's going home with, with our coach every day. Right. And his sister played. (laughs) He he had it just as rough as me. Yeah. So yeah, man, that, that's what I took a lot from um, coach Anderson and, and WLA. It's interesting you say that because the thing is, Mark is still the same way. You know, me, yeah. me, Brandon, a couple other folks, we we were more, uh, working out with him um, in the months of August and September and October. And like he will, he only demands the best. If you slack it, he, he like he gonna tell you. He gonna let you know. Yeah. He gonna let you know. That's that's one of the greatest things. And then the thing about it, when he was coaching us is he let us know like, you know, we could play, but Y'all can't beat me yet. Yep, yep. <laughs> he so, would do that. So it was a challenge every day, man. To even just impress a guy of his magnitude was a challenge. And, and all throughout my entire career, I kept that. I kept that spirit of of trying to impress somebody who never seen me play before, um, never seen a, a a person of my size and stature uh, play as hard out. And Andre, I just got to say it, man. Like, I look at myself, I'm like, okay, I know I'm every bit of about five, nine on a good day. You know, you, right. I'm looking at you and it's like, dude, it's like five, nine shooting, you know, threes from half court. Like, I mean, and I know you mentioned it already about the shooting, but like, where did the confidence come from with, with that? Man, it just came in putting hours and hours and hours in the gym. Um, I, like I said, my my pops and my, my uncle and my brother, they put a put together a regiment to where um, I basically only had time to um, go to practice, well, go to school, go to practice, train, basically every day. Um, some days I would get up early in the morning before school and train, train, go to school, train, practice. It was the same thing over and over. And at nighttime, I do homework and I sit in front of the TV, watch college basketball, watch NBA basketball. So it was an everyday thing for me. And it got to, to a point where it was my lifestyle. And that's why right. I tell kids today, 
if you really want to make something out of it, it's, it's got to be your lifestyle. You know, I played video games, but it didn't control all of my time. Right. I spent more time training or uh, learning the game of basketball than I would anything else, easily, anything else, easily. Getting, getting back to Forest Hill, getting to Forest Hill, you know, you, you pretty much had the, you know, quite the career, obviously, you know, uh, Gatorade Player of the Year, uh, Mr. Basketball. Like, what were some of your fondest memories, whether if it's from, you know, winning a championship or in terms of, you know, playing against certain players, like even maybe if it's playing against some of your friends? My first memory, my first memory was probably my ninth grade year. My freshman year, yeah. Uh, we was making our run in the playoffs, and we played at Brandon High School. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, maybe two or three games. The first game we played against, uh, I believe his name is Justin Ray from uh, Gulfport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had been hearing about this guy. He could shoot it from anywhere, and he could he really could, could score the basketball. And we, had, we, we was confident we had a couple of defenders that could bother him, and right. we did. But the thing that I remember about it, the most was it was probably my best put together game as far as being an all around point guard with the teammates that I had. We had a very good team my freshman year. Right. And um, it was the first time I ever got in the paper. And it's funny, man, because I didn't realize it at the time <laughs> that I was playing so well. Yeah. I didn't realize it till the next morning when I woke up and my dad had had the piece of paper. He had the paper laying beside my bed. Right. And so I woke up and I thought it was a joke. I thought it was something he, he put together. Yeah, you probably said, why, you, why did you put this on the yeah. side of my bed? Yeah, I was confused. I'm just like, I'm not in the paper today. Right. And so I left the house and I went and got a paper and I saw it was in every paper. So that oh, was probably man. the most fun memory that I, the first memory that I had from, from my freshman year in my, college, in my high school career, man. It was unbelievable. Beyond that one, like, I mean, playing against, I mean, you mentioned that, you didn't know if you and, and Dundrickers were going to separate from middle school to high school. Obviously, you guys did. You went to Forest Hill. He went to Murrah. But then, like, thinking about some of those, some of the other players across the state, uh, you had uh, guys at Callaway. You had Dundrickers at Murrah. You had, you know, uh, Brandon and Marquise Bailey and some others at in, uh, uh, Rissell and all of them at Jim Hill. And then you had Jarvis and Jan Mallory at Provine. So it was just like, you know, how do you how do you deal with all of those different players on a daily basis? Man, it was it was a constant challenge. Honestly, yeah. uh, it was a, definitely a challenge playing against uh, Julius Deville, mm-hmm. LaQuinn Ross. It was a challenge mm-hmm. each and every night in the inner right. city for sure. Right. But that's what you that's what you look forward to. That's what you look forward to, and you train yourself to be able to compete with guys like that. Me personally, I, I always thought most of those guys were probably more gifted talent-wise, um, stronger, faster, more athletic, um, things of that nature. But the one thing I feel like that I brought to the table, I feel like I worked um, harder than any of those guys. I think that's what elevated my game to at least be able to compete with those guys um, for, for years to come. I mean – I can't really explain how much um, training and work that I put in and uh, how much taxing things I I put my body through just to be able to compete at that level. 
right. being probably the smallest out of all of them, to be honest with you. I'm probably the smallest one right. out of all of them. So it was a challenge, man, but it was fun. It was fun, man. It, it was great competing against all of them. And all, all of those guys are second to none. I mean, right. those guys are great players, D one, high D1 uh, players um, that went on and did great things. So, I mean, looking back on it, it is funny. You <laughs> ask yourself, like, how did you do it? I mean, hey, yeah. I understand where you come from. Yeah, it, it's it's – it's it's weird though when you when you're actually in the moment you don't you don't really think about it. all you think about is well this is who I got tonight right and it's time to play yeah right yep. absolutely right and when you say like everything you took your body through in terms of training like like that process like what did it what did how did it mold you and and, and not only that were there times where you were thinking to yourself like you know am I good enough to not necessarily are you good enough to compete against these guys, but like you said, you felt like some of right. them were more, a little bit more athletic and then factoring in the idea of, okay, how, how am I going to be able to keep this up? Correct. Correct. I mean, man, I, I did a number of things. They put their heads together. I pulled tires. I ran up hills. I ran, I, I ran miles. Uh, I did a number of things. Uh, uh, um, a lot of strength and conditioning, but all those things and, uh, Playing shooting while I'm tired, all those things just developed a, a mindset for me, a tough, a, a mental mind state that um, I was going to compete to the end. Right. You know, nobody was going to tell me that I couldn't do something. I just show you I can do it. That kind of mindset. And, and, and you know, I used to target players a lot when I trained. Mm-hmm. I would think about the different players that I was facing. And right. it helped me a lot. It helped me a lot. It helped me take them. Um, I guess off of the plateau that, that, that they may have been on at the time mm-hmm. yep. and bring them to at least my level. And I was able to compete um, beyond it and not just be focused on watching DeVille throw it between his legs two or three times or go behind his back, passing it, and just focusing tunnel vision on what I had to do. You went through all this in terms of training and all of that. Of of these players, whether they were from local players to players across the state, which player would you say made you bring the most out of you in terms of your game? Mm. That you knew when you went up against, like, I got to be on my P's and Q's, like, from the start to the finish. Right. Oh, man, that's a tough one, man. It's a couple of guys, man, but one one guy that I, that I watched the most and that I always had to keep my eye on mm-hmm. is definitely DeVille Smith. Um, whenever we played Callaway, I knew the combination of DeVille, Julius, when I was a little younger, and Coach Brent was that's phenomenal. I mean, yeah. that's just beyond, right? <laughs> right. This is beyond. It's like you got a, a a a hell of a point guard in, in Julius Noble, and you have a scoring machine, dribbling machine, playmaker in DeVille, and you have a top notch head coach that's going to preach nothing but defense and toughness. Absolutely. So I definitely have to, I definitely have to give it to DeVille, man. And, uh, you know, my dad was very, very fond of DeVille. That was probably his favorite player. He would always tell me, you got to watch him. You got to watch him. Like, even in the games, if DeVille was behind me while somebody was shooting free throw, he'd be like, Dre, you need to get back. Uh, (laughs) It was that, it was that serious with DeVille, man. And I always, um, I always remember that, like he—he was the most—he was one of the most prolific guys that could change a game in a matter of minutes, just because of you know his uh, his talent level. 
is it any moments that you that you you know often reflect on now like maybe moments where you guys were in the playoffs that you remember the most or like even just being you you really look at it like you know everybody doesn't get a chance to be a Gatorade player of the year or Mr. Basketball so you right. know what like do you ever often reflect on any of those moments I do man it's it's I, it's a story that I think about a lot man um it was uh my junior year we was playing in the Pepsi tournament, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we were going up against Shaughnessy Smith and and uh Noxie Buchanan. Yeah. And uh it's one of my favorite stories, man, because like I was hearing all these things about Shaughnessy. I'm like, and I met him, I met him probably a year prior at the Mississippi State camp. Okay. So I knew who he was. He was a he was a great player. He could really, really play. Right. And but they had him winning Mr. Basketball at the time at the beginning of the year. Ooh. And so I'm just like, okay, this is my true year, right? You know, right, so right. He was definitely, he was definitely on my list from from day one because my junior year was the first year that I played without Terrell Kennedy, without Joshua Moore, without Terrence Bennett, right? You know, all the guys, Kalen Partee, like all the guys that made our team a good team. Uh, my freshman sophomore year, they right. had all graduated, right? So of course, my summer was hectic. I mean, my dad, my uncle, they they knew at this point in time my in my career, my high school career, I wasn't going to have the teammates that I once had. Right. So they knew I had to pick it up. My scoring level had to change. I had to go from scoring 10 to at least 20. So that's what we pre- prepared for the whole summer leading up to the season. And it's funny, man. Uh, there was a guy working for the Clarion Ledger. His, his first name is Todd. I forget his last name. I know you're talking about. Yeah, he was he was and he was the one that wrote the that put the um he put the headline in in the paper. Right. And man, it was a, it was a big game. I was super excited. A friend of mine, Charles Rose that played at Mississippi State was there. Yeah. Charles Rose. Um yeah. a, a person that I looked up to when I was younger, Charlie White was there. He's from yep. our neighborhood. Yep. Yep. So at this point, I mean, when I'm walking through the gym and it's packed and I, I'm like, "Okay, this this is a different type of game today like this is gonna this is gonna be something that's gonna go down in history and right you know i probably did a little much walking past ty kelly i think his last name is kelly mm-hmm. i probably did a little bit much out of my zone by telling them i'm i'm gonna show him who mr basketball is today <laughs> so that's that's i'm just telling you how how, how excited i was and how confident yeah. i was right right on the night before the game right and you know long story short i end up scoring 49 and we win Right, and that's probably one of the most that's probably the one of the most funnest memories that I ever have to take and tell my kids or tell anybody. That that's probably one of my funnest. Of course, it's probably second to Jim Hill. I ain't gonna I ain't gonna lie to you. Yeah, nah, I, I, I was that's exactly what I was about to ask, man. Like yeah. you know, I've heard Brandon's side of the story. He said like you but, know yeah, Wilson like. You know, Andre, yeah, he dropped 61 on us. But, you know, I, you know, that's the game that went to overtime, too. Yeah. So yeah. walk me through that a little bit. Because, like I said, I've heard his side of the story. What's your side of the story? I'm going to give you the, 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 the story from the beginning. Okay. So at the beginning, of course, this is the first game of my junior year. Mm-hmm. And we just talked about Knox B. County. That, that was the same year, but that was later on in the right. tournament. This is the first game of the year. I'm I'm excited. I mean, everybody's excited. Even my dad is excited. He, right, he goes right. to the store. He goes to the store and he gives me this like um, he gives me this five hour energy. You ever see those? Uh huh. 
little five hour. He gives me the five hour engine, like, you know, take this before the game. I'm just like, all right. <laughs> so he gives it to me and I keep it. Yeah. Cause I'm already excited. Like I'm stupid, you know, ready to go. Yeah. And so um, I take it before the game mm-hmm. and the game is going on, but Jim Hill is like doing us in. Like they, they're hitting every shot. They're mm-hmm. making all the right plays. They're defending me well. I hit a couple of shots, but I wasn't in my mode all the way up until almost halftime. Right. And we were still losing. At halftime, we was down probably 15 or 10 going yeah. into the locker room. We come out third quarter. It's a little bit more of the same. It's kind of back and forth. But I noticed they were still playing me one-on-one basically the whole game. I mean, they put a couple little wrinkles in there. They pressed a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, they kept playing me one-on-one. Right. So probably midway through, probably the end of the third, the start of the fourth, you know, I told Coach, I'm like, Coach, I got I to start, you know, bringing it on a little bit more. He like, yeah, yeah, please do. Right. And um, so I started being a little more assertive on offense. I, actually, I was shooting the ball throughout the game, but I started being a little more assertive on, on the offensive end. And it started igniting my teammates. Mm-hmm. So I hit a couple shots here and there, and I started passing it to my teammates. Now they're hitting shots. So, okay, now they're going. So in the fourth quarter, the game gets really, really tight. Mm-hmm. So we actually, it's funny, we actually have the lead. We actually have the lead, and the game is almost over. We had a lead. We're stalling the ball. And some, for some reason, I go down and try to make this layup when we don't need it. Yeah. And I miss the layup. Ah. And they come down and score, and we go back and score, and now we're up three. And this is like the last play of the fourth quarter. And I'm telling, like, coach and everybody else is telling, nobody gamble, nobody gamble, nobody go for no steals, nobody fouls. Brandon Anderson, they throw the ball into him. He's driving down, he's driving down the court. Yeah. One of my teammates gambles. Oh. Brandon kind of stumbles a little bit. But he gets his feet right behind the line and hits a tray ball yep. and puts it in overtime. So I'm like, oh my God. They won't <laughs> it. And obviously, obviously, uh, rest in peace to Coach Fred. Fred, right? Yep. Rest in peace to Coach Fred, man. But like I said, the combination of Fred, you got Brandon, you got Lante Watson, you got yep. uh, Marquise Bailey. Yep. I mean, it, Jimmy had a squad, yeah. to be honest with you. Yep. And uh, Robert Farmer, I mean. Rashad. Rashad. It, yep. it, it, it was it was a good game, man. But but Brandy hit probably the – that saved their game, of course, obviously. But it put it in the overtime, and it changed the game a little bit. So now it's overtime. It's, everybody's kind of a little antsy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So going into the overtime, I had three fouls. First play of the game. I mean, first play of the overtime. Um, um, Alante gets open for a break breakaway layup, and I foul him. Now I got four. Yeah. So now things were really, really interesting. Right. The thing I think broke the game out was Deion Charleston. Deion Charleston was playing defense on uh, one of their guards, and he was bothering him. He got a couple of steals, and we got a couple of layups. I hit a big three, and before you know it, the game was over. It was definitely, it was definitely a, 
a back and forth game, man. I mean, uh, I definitely scored sixty one, but I didn't know it. Right. I didn't. Probably I didn't, didn't know even it. feel like it. I, it didn't. It didn't because <laughs> I missed a lot of shots, and when I look back on. It, I was like, man, I could have be. I could have beat Monte's record. I could have scored more than seventy two because I missed a lot of shots. People don't really know I missed some shots. Right. But my, I went probably 24, 26 from the free throw line. So I mean, that's where the bulk of my points came from. Right. But man, it was it was an awesome game, and it only makes it better that Obama was elected that night. I mean, the rest is history. Right. But it's definitely my fondest memory for sure. Absolutely. Transitioning over from high school to college, you 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 make the transition to LSU, and you know you're playing with uh, uh, Brian, and then you're playing with Jalen Courtney starting off. Like when you got to LSU, how different was it? coming from high school and, and going to college? Yeah, man. I mean, I don't know where to start. It was it was unbelievably different. Um, guys were extremely way more faster than me. They were a lot stronger than I was. Uh, their athletic ability was second to none. I mean, it, <clears throat> it was unbelievable um, what I was able to see my freshman year and when I got there I really thought that I was putting in work like I thought I was really training in high school I thought I was putting my body through a lot when I got to college I was in for a rude awakening because the amount of work that they require you to do as a scholarship player Mm -hmm. is unbelievable it almost seemed like they were just pushing you to not complete the things you were supposed to be completing Right. I mean, it was it was so hard. Six a.m. workouts, um, strength and conditioning, weight training, individuals. I mean, the whole nine, man. It, it was it was a rude awakening for me. It was very very different. Very very difficult. What would you say was the hardest part of that for you? The hardest part was probably the time management. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know when you're a freshman, you want to hang out. Cause you're a freshman, you're in college, right? Uh, but you also want to be good at your craft. You still want to be good to where you can get your scholarship exactly. renewed. So my freshman year, I was in between working as hard as I could on the basketball court, um, making sure my grades stayed where they needed to be, right? And also trying to have a little fun. So I think my freshman year, I really was going through a whirlwind. I think a lot of freshmen um, go through that just just because it's a different environment. You're on your own for the first time in your life. And um, it really shows you, how it, it, it makes you grow up fast. Right. I think that was the toughest thing I had to deal with. Uh, my eating habits were bad. I was only eating what I could get my hands on. Uh, you know, I had we had a Canes around the, the corner from mm. uh, where we lived. Yep. In the apartment we lived in, we had uh, all these nice restaurants. And right. I would go there every day. I'd just eat out, eat out, eat out. Right. And while I was putting on strength, I was also putting on too much body fat. Right. And so in return, that's what kind of bothered me my freshman year. But uh, I think that was the most difficult thing I had to deal with as far as my freshman year goes. Right. See, having having been um, I went to grad school at LSU, mm-hmm. so I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the okay. Canes, right? I can't think of the name of the street now, but it's the Canes around the corner. You got walk-ons, and you have a, uh, a couple other restaurants right there on that little strip of man, Nipples Drive. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot. Unbelievable, man. Yeah. <laughs> the food is unbelievable. 
So mm-hmm. it's just like, what do you do? In terms of like breaking in, breaking in some of these habits after your freshman year, you know, your sophomore year, junior, senior year, when you started actually, you know, getting into the game and getting the flow and understanding the game of college basketball, what did you enjoy the most about that experience at LSU? I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the competition for, for sure, probably the most. I mean, I played against some of the, some so many NBA guys. Um, I think that was the fun, the, that was the most fun part to me. And then, of course, uh, being around my teammates all the time, uh, meeting new people around campus, um, the football team on campus. Right. That probably was one of the biggest, biggest things for me. Uh, being around guys six, like Patrick one, Peterson, eight, and six, two, different guys of, of, of that caliber uh, on a daily, you know, hanging out with them and, and seeing them go on the field and do the things that they do. It was unbelievable for me. But basketball, probably the competition level, um, that's probably was the most fun part. In terms of players you played against, who would you say are the the top three to five people that you maybe enjoyed playing against or like challenged you to be the best that you that you could be, you know, as a guard for LSU? Anthony Davis, man. I mean, what can I say? We didn't play <laughs> right. the same position. We didn't play the same position. But God, man, I mean, that guy's talent level was was unbelievable. Um, his anticipation was unbelievable. And I never seen a guy, I never seen a guy of his size move as fast as he could move. And his hand-eye coordination was unbelievable. I can remember one time we played at LSU and he switched off on me. Mm. So in my head, I was thinking like, well, I shoot the ball pretty deep. So I should at least be able to get a three-point shot off. And he was probably around the free throw line area. And, of course, I'm short, so I'm behind the three. Right. And I go up and shoot the ball, and he closed the space so fast and blocked the shot. And it, it really was an unbelievable play to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, never, I had never played nobody, no uh, any other big – I played seven-footers in AAU all the time. But I never played a, a guy that could take his hands from a defensive stance – close the gap between me and him and block my shot all at all at once. So I knew he was gonna be special. That's probably one of the one of the most difficult teams to play against, let alone just Anthony Davis. They I mean, they had Anthony Davis, Michael Gilchrist, uh Marquise Teague. They had a lot of guys that could really, really play. Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill was Bradley Bill was a, a he was a great college player, man. Yeah. And I had to guard him a little bit. And of course he had size, athleticism, and he could shoot the ball just like me. Right. And um it was tough, man. It was tough. I mean, we tried different guys on him. I guard him for a while. We had other guards guard him for a while, but to be honest with you, it was just nothing we can do with him. And right. not to mention Billy Donovan is his coach. Exactly. And he's playing with Scotty Wilbekin, another guard that's unbelievably good. Right. You know, those teams, man, I mean, <laughs> it's so many guys. Uh, yeah. Kenny Boyden. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, obviously, Contavious Kyle Pope was a great player to play against, really uh, challenged my game. Uh, 
Frankie Sullivan from Auburn. You might not know who he is, but he was a great college player. Yeah. That that he he's he's probably like a reminds you like a Dundrigus Nelson type of player. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of guys, man. A lot of guys, but those guys for sure. Oh, um, Marshall Henderson. Marshall Henderson was definitely one guy that I always was ready to play for. <laughs> play. Yeah. I was always ready to play against him. I'm just like, he's not he's not about to get 25 plus on me. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. I was always looking forward to him. I used to tease Jarvis about it all the time. I'm like, he ain't going to get that on me. And so when we play, man, I you know, I always raised my level of play, my defense. It was always heightened whenever I played Ole Miss. It was always like that because of Dundriggers for sure. Right. And Jarvis, but Marshall Henderson was he came on he came to college and he took it by storm. Right. With, you know, the long balls and antics and things like that. So yeah, that was some of the guys, man, that I I was probably leaving a lot out. Brandon Knight. I mean, the list goes on and on. Right, and it's, it's it's interesting you mentioned about Ole Miss because I was doing my research and Ole Miss was the the team that you always you know you averaged the most points again. You always had your your better performances against Ole Miss. So you know going up against you know uh, Marshall or even like you said uh, Jarvis at this point, like you know was it just an inner thought saying to myself like okay, I just can't, I can't let out I can't let Ole Miss outdo me and I'm from Mississippi. Hey, I mean I'm at home. Right, right, I'm at, right. I'm at home. I'm at home, man. And, and, and you know, uh, family and friends, it was easy for them to come. So, of course, I was already in another mode going to Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I always wanted to play well against both of those teams, mainly because I was from Mississippi. And there was a lot of stories going around about uh, when I committed to LSU that uh, the Mr. Basketball Award was, you know, um, how how do I say, not given to me because I chose a school other than Mississippi, other than a Mississippi school. And, you know, I know that's not nothing that I read into, but right. it's just word of mouth. And so when I played those teams, that was part of my motivation as well. Your career at, at, at LSU ends and you, you went undrafted. And I can only imagine, you know, you know, having the career that you had playing against the players that you played against. I mean, and then at the end of the day, this is SEC basketball. Like this is this, this you you seeing some of the best competition in the world right in front of you right. on, on a daily basis for four years. So right. when you didn't get drafted, um, what what did that feel like? It didn't bother me to be honest. Okay. I mean, um, I'm probably one of the if anybody that's been around me a significant amount of time. They understand about me that I'm real with myself. I'm a realist from, you know, whether it's uh, helping me or hurting me. Um, I'm just a realist, man. And right. and um, when I didn't get drafted, it didn't bother me because years prior, I understood the game of basketball and I understood the political things behind it. Nobody, I, I, I played shooting guard position for the most part of my college career. A lot of people don't know that, but I played, the two, actually, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Mm-hmm. So who's going to draft a five-man shooting guard to go guard Kobe or whoever your second-string shooting guard is? Right. Nobody. So I understood that from, from the get-go. I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't expect to get drafted, but I knew I could make some money playing the game of basketball, and that's what I was more concerned with. Right. I was concerned with um, me putting – all my time and effort into this 
game and I wanted to receive the ultimate benefits from it. And I did. So it it never, it never bothered me. Of course I wanted to get drafted and I wish I had been playing in the NBA for sure. No doubt about it. Do I think I can play in the NBA? Of course there's guys in the NBA that understand that I'm a player that could be playing alongside them or playing against them. Right. Um, But it never really bothered me to be honest. So from that, you went to uh, play with the main Red Claws and then you went to Finland and then also you played for the Island Storm in Canada. What Correct. in each one of those, you know, what were those experiences like? And, and what did you learn throughout those 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 processes? In the D-League, that's probably the most fun I had. Mm. Um, I say that because I got a chance to play against uh, the guys that they so-called call on the uh, – on the fence of being drafted or should have been drafted or really, really good college players. I got a chance to compete against them and basically show myself and the people that follow me that, you know, these guys, they can play their good, but I'm good as well. Exactly. And that, that, that's kind of what, that's what kind of stroked my ego even more about the NBA. I'm just like, you know, I look at Peyton Siva who had a phenomenal career Mm-hmm. at Louisville right? that I played against in the D-League. And uh, I'm not sure if he got drafted. I don't think he did. But he might have had a couple of stints in the NBA, but he didn't stick. I don't think he should feel any kind of way about that kind of situation because he had a great career at Louisville and went on to play overseas or, or whatever his career led to him, and he made money playing the game. Right. Uh, other guy, Seth Curry, played in the D-League when I played. I got a chance to play against him and play well obviously he's a he's a talent that's needed right now he can really shoot the ball right and so i have ultimate stories like that about different guys in the in the uh, d-league that made me enjoy the d-league more than ever and i learned a lot i mean um i uh i had the chance to play with guys like terry rosier um tim frazier a lot Mm -hmm. of guys that that uh, they were, they were good in college. They were good in the D league as well, and went on to the NBA to play. Right. And um, I understood how to how to really train a different way, how to preserve my energy, how to be a professional with um, different engagements in the community, things like that. Man, it, it it really put things in perspective as far as my whole career went. Right. Um, it, was, it was probably the best time. I played well. I shot forty two percent from three. Uh, my second year, I played well. I got I got double doubles, countless amount of times. I mean, it was probably some of the best time for him those two years, twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen. It really it really showed me how to actually be a pro. Um, when I went to Finland, it was very much different. Mm-hmm. That was my first time overseas, and it was snow everywhere. Oh man, no, everywhere it was cold every day. You don't get snow in Baton Rouge like, like that. <laughs> it was, it was cold every day. Yeah, couldn't call home like I wanted to. I could call home, but most of the time when I was up, they were doing things, mm-hmm. everybody over here was asleep. So it was a little different for me, but it challenged me to to uh, learn different things as far as um, I had to Google everything I wanted to buy at the store. Right from the language barrier, so I mean, it, it just it just gave me a different way of learning the different side of things, uh, how people live, um, 
in different countries, all those things, man, how people communicate. The basketball was different. Their terminology was different. And uh, I, I just think it, it helped me mold, it helped mold me um, to the knowledge I have today about the game. So I enjoyed that aspect as well. And Canada, Canada had a lot of fun too. Canada was probably the first place that I played where I felt like I was in high school again. Okay. It was the first place I played where I felt like I was in high school again because I got pretty much 30, close to probably 35, 36 minutes a game. I was basically playing almost the whole game. Right. And I was able to, of course, get better numbers because I was playing more. Right, right. So that was probably that was probably the that was probably one of the most fun places to play just because of that aspect. Uh, obviously, um, it didn't go as planned. I tore my Achilles. Um, but other than that, man, I mean, it was phenomenal. When you tore your Achilles, like, did you think that, you know, that this that moment would have been the last time you would have played, you know, from an organized professional standpoint? Or what, what was your mindset then versus where it's at now? I definitely didn't. Um, when I tore my Achilles, um, my mental was probably the most different it has been in my life before. Right. Um, when I I had never had any real serious injuries, um, you know, a couple, you know, nicks and bruises, but nothing really, really serious to where I had to get surgery. Right. So my mindset was a little different. Um, I just was, I guess I was unsure of the future. Well, I probably that's probably a better word to use. Um, but I no, I didn't I didn't think that would be my last time playing organized basketball at the time. Right. Um, it only came later when I understood where I had to go in order to get back to Andre Stringer is what kind of played a role in whether I should keep doing it or not. And I'm still at the crossroads with it, honestly. I just told a friend of mine the other day, I mean I'm 29 today. I could still make a comeback right now if I really no, put my really, mind to it. You really could. Yeah, <laughs> I really could. And the thing about it is that's that's the beauty of basketball. The beauty of basketball is is working towards something. If right. you have nothing to work towards, it's hard to stay hungry. That's why you see a lot of NBA guys like, wow, this guy, he can, he can really play, but he's just not doing the things that he used to do. When you get satisfied, it's tough. Right. You know, some some guys never get you got LeBron's and KD's, they never get satisfied. Right. LeBron can have five rings already, six rings already. And he still he wants seven. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's 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 what you know, that's what um differentiates certain players from the other. When you tore your Achilles, like and I know we mentioned earlier in the show we talked about your relationship with your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and granted you were in you were in Canada at this time. Did you come back to the States? I was in Canada for probably, I toured in, um, I want to say I toured in March. Mm -hmm. I didn't come home until, I didn't come home until, okay, probably late February. Yeah, it was late February. Yeah, late February. And I didn't come home until May. Mm -hmm. So I stayed around for a little while and they, I had a um, host family that was very, very good to me. Mm. I mean, um, I still talk to them today. Nile and Cheryl, man, they were phenomenal uh, to me. At you know, for the t- for the time that I was staying after my injury. Right. Um, but yeah, I came back in May, 
And uh, I actually was living in Dallas at the time. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Dallas. And unfortunately, as soon as I got back to Dallas, man, a couple weeks into me being in Dallas, I ended up getting a car accident. Oh, man. And yeah, and I tore my PCL in my right knee. While I had the cast on, or while I had the, my boot on for my Achilles. Right. So man, it was it was it was tough. It was tough. And then actually, you know, I I finally came home after being in Dallas for a little while. Came home, and my dad was like, "Man, you know, just like any other time, it'll be all right. You know, you get yourself together, you keep moving." That's kind of how he raised me. We 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 never really lingered on lingered on any negative part of our lives. Um, he always just coached me to keep it moving. We only can do what we can control, and so. After that, I don't know, man. I, I just kind of went through the – I started rehabbing a little bit, rehabbing a little bit. And um, at the time, I knew it was going to take me a year to recover from the Achilles. And then it also would take me a year to recover from my PCL injury. So that's when kind of – it kind of got really bleak to me. That's when it finally got to where it's just like, man, you know, it's the good Lord telling me that, you know, it's time for me to do something else. And if this, if this, if so, that's fine. So be it, you know, I'm not a type of person of, you know, I'm not playing basketball, so I can't be Andre Stringer. Right. You know, basketball isn't what made me who I am. It's just what people know me by. Right. So, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't never feel, even to this day, I don't feel a, a, a certain type of way because I'm not playing overseas or, um, any of those things. I know if I made my mind up tomorrow to focus and train for two months, I could, I could go back overseas easily. Right. So that's kind of where my head was at the time. And I just never got back to it. And in terms of your relationship with your brother and like your dad after he, you know, after he passed away, how did you kind of maneuver and, and, and handle that, that tough situation? It was tough, man. It was tough. It, it still is tough. I mean, uh, you know, it still hasn't really. It's, it don't seem real to me, to be honest with you. Right. Um, obviously, losing a parent is probably the closest person you can lose. Maybe your a, a sister or brother, but um, he was the closest person that I had lost, probably besides uh, my grandmother, his mother, his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was tough, man. I, I mean, me and my dad, you know, we would. We would do everything together. I would, um, I would pick his brain a lot, just about little things. I I watched him do everything. We would go to games together, and I think that's the thing I miss the most. I miss the, the times of, of him still coaching me, and telling me uh, things I should do and how I should act. And I, I learned by example from him, uh, more than anything. You know right. the way he treated people, uh, his love for. Um, for the betterment of other children, and that's not his. Right. It's, it's really something that um, is really something I think we as a people we look past because we have so many unseen heroes in the community in these different states and cities that um, I think we should appreciate way more than we do. And it's not just my dad, man. It's a couple. Mark Anderson is one of them. It's a lot of guys, you know, a lot of names we can name, but you know, for a man to take out his time and, 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 and energy away from his family to help a, another child do whatever they please and to coach them and to groom them into being uh, the best person that they can be. I mean, I guess that's 
the part I miss the most, obviously the laughs and playing and things like that. Um, right. You know, I visit those things every day, right? Every day, and and and, and I speak to people all the time who have lost loved ones and close uh, parents and sisters and brothers, and they tell me it never, you know, you never get used to it. Which I can see that. I can see that because you know, um, I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I'm used to it, but I'm okay with it. Right. I, I understand that. Um, I understand the way of life. I understand everybody has to go at some point. Um, I think the thing that bothers me is just I just wasn't ready. Right. But are you ever ready though? Right. That's right. Thing. Absolutely. Are you, ever ready? Are, are you ever ready to lose a parent or or lose a loved one or somebody you really really care about? Somebody you do it for. You know, I, I think that's something we we um, we don't recognize either because unconsciously you do a lot of things to impress someone mm-hmm. yeah you know true. Some, some things you do for yourself but some things you do for the betterment or, or the acceptance of someone else who better uh for that person to be than your parents and that's what he was to me he was he was my hero man he still is he still is um i'm dealing with it dealing with it a little better each and every day right uh, but I, I hear him talking to me a lot so that's something that helps me. And then we had long, long conversations about um, things that I needed to do, you know, once this phase came. So it's almost like he's still coaching me now. Right. You know, we, we are, we always had a plan, man. So, you know, um, I emotional, emotionally, yeah, I get uh, emotional uh, often, you know, when I ride in the car sometimes, uh, you know, it'll creep up on me. But a lot of times I spend time just thinking about, you know, funny situations that we had. So, um, you know, I'm adjusting to, to this new part of life, man. And my mom is, my brother is, my uncle is, everybody that loved them. We all are adjusting. It's tough. Um, but like I say, uh, we're all children of God and we understand the way of life. So, and I want to switch gears real quick here. <clears throat> I know that one of your favorite players is Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if the Pelicans is still your favorite team, per se. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I didn't think no. so. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. No, but, man. But, but what about what about Chris Paul do you enjoy the most about his game? Chris Paul is a guy that I just – I watched since Wake Forest. Okay. He, he was one guy that I looked at that I could be like mainly because of his size. Uh, and I started to study his game and really just really focus in on everything he did. And for him to have carved out the career that he's had, it's not a surprise to me because I can see how much knowledge he has about the game. He's the epitome of you don't always have to be the most athletic guy. Right. You don't always have to be the fastest guy. You know what I mean? You don't right. always have to be the tallest guy. He's the epitome of that. Right. And that's just somebody I still look at to this day, still one, probably my favorite player. These younger guys, some of these younger guys are my favorites too now that he's transitioning into his retirement at some point. Right. But, man, I mean, even now, he's still a guy worth paying a guy worth um trading for a guy you know what i mean he, he, he's still very much so uh chris paul man he, he's phenomenal um, 
but yeah, that's why I looked at him. I, I thought that somebody that's someone that I can model my game after. You know, it's a lot of players in Mississippi right now that want to be at the level of what you were when you were in Mississippi um, and coming right. through high school. And you know, some have, and it's just like you know, what 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 advice would you give to players like you know, if you could have, or whether if it was then or now, like to the uh, Devin Booker's, the Malik Newman's, the Robert Wooders, the you know, the DJ Jeffries, um, you know, even Deshaun Ruffin, you know what I mean? Like, what advice would you give to these players um, coming that have come through or that are coming through? Um, well. The advice I would give them, man, I mean, it's it's you have to have a team. Mm-hmm. You have to have a team of people that, that are all geared towards the same goal. Um, your parents, your coaches, and you have to all be on the same page. And what that means to me is you have to be you have to be humble, first of all. Right. You have to work, you have to work your, your tail off. And constantly, constantly work to become better. Once you become better, now it's the mental part about it. So a lot of these guys that I've <clears throat> that I've watched, you know, come up after me, or you know, this social media thing. I I can't say it bothers them. I'm only on the outside looking in, but I think it changed the mental of a player when you are so young and everybody thinks they're the next LeBron, everybody thinks they're the next uh, Allen Iverson or, you know, everybody wants, everybody wants the fame or the recognition in high school. Right. Or in their state, everybody wants to be recognized. But the thing that, that I did more than anything, and it's probably why, you know, there is some people that, that are around in the state that don't really know who Andre Stringer is, is because I was so focused on just training, competing, and playing. I never got a chance to go out there and say, oh, I'm the best, or I'm this, or I'm that. I didn't have social media to constantly post my highlights or, you know, the way I was made, the, the recognition that I had came from actual people who actually watched. Right. It wasn't about the guy that never watched that only heard. It was it was through the people that really watched and that really knew the game. Exactly. Nowadays kids get they get things misunderstood. They make two or three shots here and there. They didn't had a great game. Or they scored fifteen or twenty this game, they had a great game. But then they score ten the next, the next game. game, the next right. game, the next game. Right. And but it's distracting to them when their parents don't push them beyond that. Right. But but it's kind of a catch-2020 because I had a brother who did everything that I did. So my parents weren't impressed with what I was doing. So, you know, I can't put a kid in my situation, but I was school 35, and I come home and do homework and go to sleep. Right. Because it's not, it's not, it's not nothing that, that's so eye-catching. What's eye-catching is, well, can you do it again? Yeah. How many times can you do it now? Okay, now you, you're scoring at will. Okay, how, how much can you win? Can you make your teammates better? 
How much can you learn about the game? What can I see different next game? Are you good with your left now? Can you finish with your left now? Because you're going to need that in college. Right. All right, you didn't play defense none in high school. Are you going to play defense in college? That was the mindset that I came home to each and every day. I didn't come home to uh, my parents patting me on the back every night. You know, I mean, they would all, they would express that I played good and, and I did well. Right. But there was no – it was always the next thing, the next exactly. thing. Right. What can you do next? So I think that's that's one thing with kids today. They got to focus on every aspect of the game and take less focus off off the court. You know what I mean? Deshaun mm-hmm. Ruffin is a talented kid, very much so talented, probably more talented than I was, faster, more explosive, can handle the ball a little better. But does does he work to get those things, or does he have people say those things? You you know what I'm saying? You follow what I'm saying? Right. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. I personally think he works out a lot because obviously he's a great player. He wouldn't be a great player if he didn't train. Right. But you have to have a combination of you about to go to college now. Right. So you got to work even more. You almost got to – it's not an afraid thing, but you almost almost got to be a little afraid to not be ready. Right. Because that's only going to make you train even more. Exactly. So I tell kids, I tell kids all the time, man, don't get comfortable in temporary things. Right. Don't get complacent. I, I always all. wanted – yeah, I always wanted – I always thought everybody that was in Jackson or in Mississippi should know who I am. I don't have to make them know who I am. I'm more impressed with when I go to Atlanta or when I go to Orlando or when I go to New York and play, and then I leave, and then people are saying, man, that kid, Andre Stringer, can play. Right. I'm not really concerned about what I do at home. Everybody should know me here. Right. Everybody should while I'm playing in high school. So uh, I think kids should just focus on, focus on the path more than – trying to enjoy the fruits of their labor so early. I, I think that I think that that takes away from the mental part of it. I think that kind of distracts them. So that's my advice for sure. No, and definitely some great advice, man, because it's like a lot of times and, and I've never played uh like on a college level or or professional level or anything like that but what i do know that you know being from mississippi or anybody that's from mississippi trying to you know get it out the mud and, and, and go to the next level is hard you know and it's, it's hard, like you, you you get it you you you're great here and you go to the next level and you realize it's like it's not that you're not great it's just the fact that everybody else around you is just as great as you or better exactly. and, and, exactly. You, and you have to have that mindset of like i'm either gonna you know continue to grind and and get better than what i've that i'm than what i already am to be on that next level at this point in my life or like you right. said you become complacent and it's just like well you know i've made it to this point so why i need to continue you know going up Right, exactly. You know, I mean, it's it's we all do it. We yeah. all do it. Right. I mean, we all say it and talk about it, but it's different when you're living like it. Right. If 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 players, oh man, he he's gonna go to the NBA. He's gonna go to the NBA. But if you start thinking, all right, well, I don't need to do much because I'm gonna go to the NBA. That's the wrong mindset to have. Exactly. It's definitely the wrong mindset to have when 
you're under six feet or, you know, your height is compromised. Right. Because, of course, we all can look. If, if somebody walked through the door that's 6'9", first thing we're going to say, do we play basketball? Right. You know, that's that's just how we are culturally. Right. And, you know, if you, if you have the height and size and the speed, of course you can entertain the NBA. For sure, no doubt about it. Um, but when you're small, that's when it's – Everything matters. Right. Everything matters. Look at Isaiah Thomas, man. Yep. He's a prime example. He's a prime example. Right. Uh, a person that literally, literally was carrying carrying a franchise for what better most of two years or maybe a year and a half. Right. One injury goes bad, and now the money ain't what you thought it was about to be. Exactly. A prime example. Right. You know, he's a great he's a great player, somebody that busts his tail all the time. You know, the chips just fall where they may sometimes. Right. But that should show you that your gift could be taken away from you any second. Right. And while so you have it, you gotta you, enjoy it. Yep. Yeah, you gotta enjoy it. You gotta you gotta get the most out of it while you can. You don't have time to rest on your laurels. Right. You don't have time for that. Because the moment you rest, the moment somebody's getting better. Exactly, or, or the moment you leave yourself susceptible to something else, an injury or anything. When you were coming up, like you mentioned in, in early in the show, you actually mentioned a couple of names that that I was thinking about, like you know the Charlie Whites of the world, the Monte Ellises of the world, um, yeah. you know different dominant players that played when we were kids. So right, right. you know, what was did you have a relationship with any of them, and like if 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 any of the players that came before you, which one of them or several of them did you respect the most? Most definitely Charlie White. And I'm not I'm not saying that because we're from the same neighborhood. Um, but I got a chance to – I got a chance to – obviously my brother was 10 years older than me. He's a little older than Charlie is. Right. My brother would, would play at, at Westside, mm-hmm. uh, and Charlie was a, a year younger. Yeah, and I would watch them compete a little bit, and then I would watch Charlie compete against other guys. When my brother would leave and go back to school, Charlie would compete against other guys. Like uh, at the time, uh, Maurice Carter, Mo mm-hmm. Williams was coming through the gym. Yep. Uh, I mean, Ryan would come. To, it, it's it was a bunch of names, and and what I liked about Charlie the most was he was never phased by any of them. Right. He's never phased by who they were. And that's probably the the biggest thing that stuck with me um, moving forward. I never really, I never really cared about a name or who a person was. Right. I always wanted to compete just the same. And that's what I learned from Charlie White, man. He hard nosed, tough, tough, tough player. Not the most skilled player, but tough, man. I mean, tough as nails. He can get the job done defensively. Can run your team. Um, that's, I mean, he's obviously a guy that I did have a relationship with. I still do have a relationship with that uh, kind of helped mold my mentality um, as well as my game. For sure. Definitely Charlie White, man. Shout out to my boy, Charlie White. For sure. <laughs> definitely, like, dog, yeah. yeah, definitely one of the better better point guards that came through, through Jackson. And most really hear you. Yeah, most definitely. In terms of, you know, what you saw in Monte, like, you know, what did you think of his game at that time in your life compared to once you got to that level? I understood that 
he made me understand that I wanted to play or I wanted to be looked at as a, a player that was in a league of their own. Because obviously, I mean, Monte was in a league of his own. Right. If we want to be honest, nobody, nobody could score with him. Nobody could could um, stop him. Really, it was all about him stopping himself. Charlie, Charlie would compete against some really, really good. Bro. Yeah, they they had some, they had some, yeah. they had they some had, times. They had a lot. They had a lot of <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of run-ins. But I mean, Monte Ellis is Monte Ellis, man. A guy scores seventy-two points in a game, sixty-five on the same team. The next year, I mean, that's before itself. He was in a league of his own. Right. And he 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 pushed me to want to create that separation between everybody else and just him. Right. And I you know, when I look over my career, um uh it makes me appreciate watching him. Because I look at my stats and I look at, you know, because I, I obviously I don't have any rings to go off of. So I, when I look at my stats and I stats and I see him match up against other guys that were just as good as me, and I'm right there at the top, it makes me feel it makes it, it reminds me of when I used to watch Monte and wanted to have that separation between everybody. Right. So for sure, yeah, absolutely right. Well, Andre, if people wanted to follow you on social media or you know just kind of keep up with what you're doing or anything like that, how could they how could they follow you? They can follow me at Dre Stringer or at Dre Stringer 10. Um, and any young players or anybody that has any concern, if I can help them in any way, uh, I'm always open. I always uh, respond. I don't I don't just read messages and not respond. Right. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for the community. I'm here for the kids. Uh, if anybody wants to train or any of those things, I'm here. And um, I'm acceptable to uh, conversation or parents want to call anything of that nature. You know, I'm around. Stay tuned for episode 15 of the Red Diamond Report podcast next week. Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at the RDR Report. And follow me on Twitter at Wilton Reports and on Instagram at Wilton Reports underscore.